That's the sound of the coffee pouring. Welcome to the Doctor's Brew. I'm your host, Dr. Abdelaziz Al Khayyab, and joining us today is Dr. Maryam Al Fahed. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me here. It's an honor to be your first speaker, as I should be. <laughs> uh, we're very, very honored and happy to have you here. Um, so, just for our listeners out there to know, kind of the the background, Maryam is uh, my assistant registrar, so she's my superior. She's my boss. I like when he says I'm his boss. I'm not actually his boss, but you know what? It, it boosts my ego. Yeah, yeah, she's actually my boss. <laughs> boosts the ego. Boosts the ego. Uh, so, just to give a background to what we're going to be talking about today, today's topic is going to be about dealing with difficult patients, and I don't think there's anyone in all of Kuwait or Amiri Hospital or maybe even the world more suited to talk about this than uh, Dr. Maryam and fahed <laughs> The amount of stories I have. Mm. So just a little bit of a background info. Um, I graduated from the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland in Bahrain. Um, I, I'm mentioning this because Bahrain is a GCC country and you'd assume that I would have had the same difficulties here that I did there. Except I did not. I did struggle with the culture shock that everyone from abroad is struggling from. Difficult patients here. Like, let's just define difficult patients first. Mm. So a difficult patient can be anything from a patient who just refuses medication, refuses to get treatment, refuses refuses you in general as a human being refuses at you, this yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. Or a patient that just, there's a barrier, either language or cultural between you. Mm. So this just takes time from you and time from other patients in order for you to execute your job perfectly mm. and to the best of their of your capabilities mm-hmm. and provide them with the best care. So the reason I mentioned Bahrain is my experience there was I go to a patient. Yeah. When they are there, they are seeking my advice. Mm-hmm. And they want my treatment and my intervention. Mm-hmm. When when I came here, I expected the same interaction. Mm-hmm. But what a majority of the people do is they come here. This is what's wrong with me. I want you to give me so and so. I had the exact so same experience. So they're here. Yeah. My I know the refusal. <laughs> the refusal is insane. You will yeah. face patients who will either refuse your treatments, think they know mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. They will call a family physician. That is a completely different specialty and take their advice. And yeah. they're like, so-and-so said this, I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. And you have to explain to them down. You have to explain to them for about a good 45 minutes. And during those 45 minutes, of course, you will be insulted. You will, They'll think you're just a kid. You will suffer from this a lot as future doctors, mm-hmm. whoever wants to go into medicine. Mm-hmm. You'll struggle with the issue that you look young and you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty yeah. sure you've been through yeah. that. Yeah, no, no, there, there's definitely this thing of like, oh, this doctor's too young to be treating me. And I mean, to some extent, we can empathize because, you know, we see patients, and Mariam was mentioning this earlier to me, that we see patients on their worst days. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, like, it kind of makes sense why they, they think, oh, this person is too young to be treating me. But at the same time, at the same time, we went to med school, we, we, we know, at least, we know what we're doing. And if we don't know what we're doing, you can trust that we're seeking the right pathways to make sure that exactly you know yeah so they're safe <laughs> my approach to dealing with difficult families mm. it depends on the type of difficult patient so we have the types that are just entitled which <laughs> okay. is the entitlement the nepotism the recommended patients mm-hmm. there is the cultural barrier mm-hmm. and then there's the language barrier okay 
I brought them up in this order because the most difficult are the first ones. The entitled patients. Entitled yes. patients. Yes. Patients that think they know best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you walk into a room and you explain something to a patient and you explain things to them and you basically dry out your mouth. Just try and sorry. Yeah, and they're still not convinced. Yeah. So yeah. my approach is, I've, I've not, if you've heard of ICE, yeah. ideas, concerns, expectations. Mm-hmm. So I go into a room and ask them, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Or what is your understanding of your mom or your grandma or your whatever's case? Mm-hmm. So they tell me, oh, she has a chest infection. And in reality, that's not it. Mm-hmm. She has a chest infection. She has a UTI. She has hypoactive delirium. She has this, this, this. Yeah. I'm like, what's bothering you right now? And they go like, she's sleeping too much. So I can address this to them. Yeah. So I go like, okay, so the reality of the situation is this, this, this is happening. Your mom's at this age. Due to the fact she's at this age, she's at risk of this mm-hmm. and this and this. Mm-hmm. So we have something called hypoactive delirium and mm-hmm. I explain to them in Arabic, which means you'll expect this, this and this. Mm. And I tell them what to expect to happen later on. Mm. And then I ask them, what are you expecting from us? Mm-hmm. Obviously, they say they want her to get back to normal and whatever. So that's when you start to explain to them, treatment takes time. It is not a one-day thing. People think if they take one dose of antibiotics, I should be feeling better. And I explain to them, no, it takes a couple of days. Same things with x-rays. I've had a patient who's yelled at me, like, my mom's x-ray is so bad. And I'm like, okay, but we're listening to her chest, and it's fine. And I had to explain to her that x-rays, the changes can take up to two weeks for them to show up. Right. And when I explained it to her calmly, she calmed down with me. Now, to play devil's advocate a little bit, uh, because you touched up on, you know, the fact that patients sometimes they come in and they have their own agendas. And let's be honest, I think everybody, doctors included, we've all had the experience where our doctor didn't truly listen to our needs. They've had negative experiences with healthcare. You know, you hear all these horror stories in the media, um, whether they're true or not, like I, I... it's val- it's it's important to mention that even the stories that are not necessarily true are negatively impacting the, the of course, outlook of, of patients. So how do we, you know, balance between their agenda and then their perspective? So I know you've been through this before, we're on the same team, so we <laughs> literally work for the same team. Sometimes patients go and like, I want this, this, and this, and yeah. then the pay- the doctor that's rounding on them will give up. And say, you know what, just do it. Yeah. It's not going to b- hurt them. And it's not going to hurt their, like, it's not going to damage their health. Mm. Just do it. In my opinion, that's incorrect. You're opening up a gateway that allows them to dictate their own management. True. As a patient, you have every right to ask, why am I giving you this? Why am I what, treating you this way? What's wrong with you? You have every right to do so. Yeah. But you do also have to understand that we round on you. Before we go into the room, we're standing there for 30 minutes looking at your labs, looking at everything. And I say this to them. I tell them now, if you ask me about any of her labs, I will know every single number because we rounded on you. We don't just walk in randomly. And I've explained this to patients. And when they started to understand our process, they were more accepting. So I've had a patient that was unwilling to do anything. Mm To the point that she was unwilling to do a CT scan, mm-hmm. I had to force, I had to go with her downstairs, mm-hmm. put on the gown, hold her in the CT room, because she didn't want to be alone. Building that rapport with the patient, which is very important with dealing with mm-hmm. difficult families, they have to trust you. Mm-hmm. 
it's not easy to gain their trust from the get go mm. and if you lose it from the beginning it is not you're not, you're not getting it back mm. it's very simple that's so the way it is here mm. so i built trust with this patient during an on call she's refusing to speak to any other doctor yeah she but you're not the treating doctor you're I'm, the on call doctor yeah but yeah, she's yeah. also under a unit right okay Okay. So she was refusing to speak to the doctor I signed her to. Mm-hmm. And when I come and tell her, I think you should do this. I recommend you do this. She's like, okay, but you need to come down with me. Right. So then there's this over-dependence. And again, your time is uh, valuable. Exactly. Because in that moment, you you can be called for a code. You can be called uh, a code just in case nobody knows. It's uh, when patients goes into cardiac arrest, their heart stops, and we need to go exactly. and resuscitate. Um, and kind of circling back here, you mentioned, you know, there's some people that take the, the approach of, right, well, if it's not going to hurt you, let's just go for it. Fine. Do you think that we're talking right now about cultural barriers and uh, uh, more of entitlement? Do you think that the entitlement that we see sometimes with uh, patients, you know, and, and they're kind of how they want to push their agenda. Do you think that pushes us into malpractice? If it pushes and pushes the patient too far, mm-hmm. then yes, it does. But if mm. we're, let's say the patient goes like, oh, I don't want this painkiller like paracetamol, which is Panadol. Mm-hmm. I want Voltaren, which is the equivalent, basically. Mm. It's not going to harm them. That's fine. Yeah, It's not malpractice. Mm. But when a patient goes like, I want this test done mm-hmm. and it's not indicated, let's say an MRI, I want an MRI done. It's not malpractice. It's just... You're wasting hospital resources. You're wasting hospital time for patients that actually need it. Mm. But at the end of the day, you could be costing another patient that really needs to be diagnosed with mm. an MRI because you sent someone for no reason. Mm. I think this is the thing, Kenny. We're wasting resources. We're wasting time. We're wasting medication. Mm. We're wasting all of this for patient satisfaction because it's very easy for them to leave and last social media yes. that so-and-so yes. and did this, 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 this. And then easily ruins reputation. Of course. And then that it, it stops us from being able to have a, a stable relationship with our, you know, future patients. Yeah, they'll yeah. automatically come into the hospital not trusting you. Yeah. Because yeah. of what they've heard, what they've seen. We live in a culture where WhatsApp rumors are <laughs> reality. Yeah. This is it. If something is sent on WhatsApp, it's true. It happened. Doesn't matter if there's proof or no proof. And one, you know, one key word that you mentioned is resources. Uh, I, I think not, not, not a lot of the public or even medical students or doctors, I don't, I don't want to speak for doctors, but I know at least in med school for me, the idea of cost effectiveness. Actually, I did, I, I'm working on a study about a cost effectiveness analysis. So in the UK, the number one thing that determines whether a healthcare treatment is going to be approved or not is its cost effectiveness. And cost effectiveness is per dollar kd whatever that i invest in how much does that change a patient's life and so when you do waste these healthcare resources they're always limited you know we don't have an endless supply of money exactly yeah um and it can go to someone who you know is i don't want to say more deserving but is in more need for example okay this actually brings up a very good subject mm. you know how there are certain medications who are prescribed to coities and non-coities yes yes okay. yes so this is the thing Study-wise, there's not much of a difference, but the ones that are supplies to Kuwaitis mm. are more effective than the ones that are for non-Kuwaitis. There we go. For example, there's a medication called Plavix. Mm-hmm. 
it is not prescribed to any non-Kuwaiti unless they've done a surgery mm-hmm. and you have to bring the paper mm-hmm. that they've done the surgery for them to supply it to you. Because if you buy it from a pharmacy, it costs around 20-something KD per box. Sure. So here they're giving it for free, but they don't want to give it to a non-Kuwaiti. Mm. When if I go prescribe it to myself right now, without any indication, they will give it to me. That's crazy. As a 25-year-old, I ask for an antiplatelet that I don't need, they will give it to me. And that's the thing. Oh, hit the mic there. The thing is, is that in the end, we're, we're still treating Kuwait. You know, eventually that per- patient is not being treated properly, primary care. They're going to end up in the hospital just like anyone else. And so when you come in and, for example, someone says, hey, I need this. Uh, you know, PCI, uh, surgery, intervention, whatever it is, the beds are still limited. They're still going to people who need it. And so if we're not treating them properly at the start because of, you know, these kind of like differentiating policies that maybe there's a reason for them. I, I'll be honest. I don't know them. I don't know. I don't know what it is. This brings us to the cultural aspect of yeah. difficult patients. So there are patients whose culture either they're from abroad or culture that is in kuwait Mm -hmm. that is very different to yours personally yeah yeah i've had experiences where a male doctor refuses refused my treatment because i was a female Mm. a male patient or doctor he's a male patient 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 and he refused my treatment Mm -hmm. because i was a female doctor and requested the male doctor right so I was like, okay, it's your and within your rights. Of course, yeah. So I called the male doctor. We only had one male doctor on call. With all due respect to this doctor, he went and knew nothing. Mm. So then the patient came back to me. It and wasn't said, his patient. No, it was just on call. We were on mm. call. Oh, okay, okay. It was my ward, and he called. He's like, I'm sorry, I want a male patient. Yeah. I'm like, is there a problem? He's like, no, I just don't want a female patient. I I prefer a male patient. You doctor. Guys don't eat. Sorry, <laughs> I prefer a male doctor. Doctor. Because you guys don't understand. I could have easily been like, you know what? Fine. So I called the one male doctor we had. Yeah. And with all due respect to that doctor, he he knew he did not know what to do. Yeah. So the patient ended up calling me again. I was like, I need your help now. I'm like, are you willing to take a female doctor now? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yes. I'm like, are you sure? He goes like, yeah. I'm like, okay, thank you. But please, next time, do not judge it based on gender. Yeah. He's like, no, I'm not it's used not to fair. it. I'm like, if it is something personal to you and you're just embarrassed and you need the mail, I understand. Mm. But if you just want me to treat something that's regular, the on-call doctor is who's there. Yeah. Like, there's no mails. What are what you going to do? Wait till tomorrow? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And to add, I don't know what the spread is like in Bahrain or Kuwait, but at least in my, I, I studied at Manchester, uh, University of Manchester. It was more women than men, the ratio. And what is here too? More the women than men. So it's kind of difficult also. We're going to be in this place where we're refusing female or male doctors. Because there's a trend here. There's a trend here, specifically in Kuwait. Mm. To the point in obstetrics and gynecology, Mm. women will prefer male doctors. Really? Believe it or not. Will prefer male doctors over female doctors. Mm. To treat them. Mm. Yani, it's to this extent, hairdressers, which is a female's, it's known to be a female thing. Yeah. Everyone goes like a male hairdresser is better. Mm. So any workplace you go to as a female, from my perspective, it is much more difficult for me to get things done mm. than it is for a guy. Mm. So if I walk in with you mm-hmm. and I'm technically your boss, <laughs> twin brackets, <laughs> they'll look at you while I talk. That's 
and they look at you for answers mm. even if you know absolutely nothing about this patient mm. because you're a guy mm. if you leave the room and you know I, I walked in with a student once mm. and they kept looking at the student mm. and I put the student in a situation where I'm like okay go ahead to answer them mm. and he said I'm a medical student I don't know yeah and then they looked at me like you're the doctor and I'm like yes so this is why I'd like you to look at me when I'm talking to you and direct your questions to me because mm. I'm the one who knows the case Well, a lot of my colleagues in the the UK, their issue was that every time they went into a patient as medical students and even as doctors, every time they go into the patient, they think that they're the nurse. Same. But Same. You know, that's... Uh, yeah. I've had yeah. someone call me sister, 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 sister <laughs> over and over and over again. And I kept ignoring him Yeah. until he went doctora and I looked at him. I'm like, yes. So you know I was a doctor. Yeah. I had my stethoscope on. I even had the lab coat on that day. Mm. So why? It cannot be more obvious than this. Yeah, yeah. And he kept going and he kept going. And when I looked at him, I'm like, yes, Amr. Mm. He's like, oh, I just need this medication refilled. I'm like, that's mm. not my job. I have to go down to the OPD. Now, circling to a different part of the, the culture of Kuwait. Nepotism. Nepotism, nepotism. I am ready for this one. Yes. Uh, so, you know, in med school... Obviously, we all learned that there's, you know, we, I forgot what the four tenets are called. There's a formal name for it. The medical ethics, you know, uh, me, uh, beneficence, non-maleficence, uh, justice, and... Uh, I forgot what the last one was. It's, it's very bad for me that I can't remember the last one. But anyway. It's okay, same. Justice is treating everyone equally and fairly. And then within the clinical picture. So for example, someone comes in, hey, I have a cold versus someone comes in a suspected heart attack. Yeah. I'm not going to respond the same way. Yeah, exactly. And then there's the element of nepotism in Kuwait and the element of, you know, wasla? Is that is that the best yeah. way to put it? Wasla. Nepotism is wasla. Yeah. So any that's basically they come in because they're recommended, recommended or they know someone. Recommended, recommendo, yeah. So they know someone in the hospital, they get special treatment mm -hmm. so i've had a patient who was one of those patients who had special treatment mm -hmm. it was during a covid era mm. where everyone was completely drowning mm. and i was on call covering five wards mm. and you have to understand what that means you guys cover two wards now and understand how yeah. it was an insane amount it's a of lot, calls. It's a lot. and it was between the new building and the old building and For those who don't know, there's a new Amelia and an old Amelia, and there's a bridge between both. <laughs> so there's this distance to run through between both when there are emergencies. She came to me, asked me about her mom, and I looked at the board. I accidentally looked at the... So, yani, when I was scanning, mm. I saw the patient's name, I scanned, and then I accidentally looked at the one at the top. Mm. There was our unit, and then right at the top, hepatology. So I was like, oh, she's under the... Doctors of pathology, it's better to ask them. Ooh, sorry about that. It's better to ask them about her. They'll have more information. She starts yelling at me. She's under medical. She's not. I'm like, oh, sorry, what's your name again? Mm. I'm like, oh, okay, she's under our unit. What do you need? Just let me know and I'll help. Mm. So I read the file. I was on the male side at the time. I have no idea who this woman is. Who this woman is. Mm. I'm reading the file. I'm like, okay, she's like 80 something. She has a UTI. She's like, my mom's asleep. She's been sleeping so much. Mm. And one of her active issues was hypoactive delirium. So it fits with the clinical picture. So I'm like, I'm explaining, I'm explaining, I'm explaining, I'm explaining. She's yelling at me. Mm -hmm. and I'm being very calm. And then she goes, I told her, Mali, 
which means يعني it's fine it's okay she says things like ما علي إذا أنت عاقب أمك أنا مو عادي عندي هذه أمي yeah. and I go like okay but that's not what I meant yeah, yeah. so she walks away you meant it innocently you meant yeah. it as in like uh, take a breath so yeah, we can work breathe. through this yeah. so she walks away grabs an empty tissue box and throws it at me there we go so when she threw it at me I pretended like she wasn't even there she kept yelling for like 10 minutes and I'm continuing my work and pretending like she's not there mm. when she kept yelling I looked at her I'm like when you calm down and start to talk to me properly I'll be able to discuss this with you mm-hmm. if not I need you to call someone else mm-hmm. that is more calm than you are right now mm. and they'll explain it to you so her sisters came and they're like we're so sorry mm. for the way she acted and I explained like it's fine it's, it's okay I won't do anything about it it's, it's all good and I explained it to the family they understood they explained it to her mm. legally because I had witnesses of what happened legally I could have يعني أرفع قضية إساءة موظف okay you're right if you're emotionally abused or physically abused or if in any way abused by a patient if you have witnesses or proof your right is ترفع قضية إساءة موظف they have to pay you a fine of 5000 KD we would be rich if by now if I would do that to every single patient yeah. I could quit my job there we go so then why why do we not these are the le- the legal frameworks are there to protect us right but again why not, not to think of it as in a human humanitarian way these are sick people right like you've mentioned before you are seeing them on their worst days yeah to you it's a sunday it's a monday tuesday wednesday a regular day mm-hmm. to them this is the worst day of my life you walk into a patient's room let's say you give them a diagnosis mm-hmm. We have a patient right now who has a diagnosis of cancer. Mm. The person who told her will always be the person who told her the worst news of her life. Right. Yeah. You're yeah. not going to remember her in a few Regardless, years. Regardless, you're the on-call, the treating doctor. You're the exactly. person. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She will remember your face forever. Mm. You did CPR for a patient. If you were the first person to leave and tell them, they will remember you forever. Mm. They will not forget this. It's responsibility. I've said it to so many people. I don't remember what they look like. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember the patient's name. Like, I'm like, you have to remind me what room was it? What ward was it? To me, I don't remember because mm. there's so many. Mm. But to them, they will remember you for years. Mm. I have patients that still send me gifts to my house. Wow. And it's been like wow. a, a year and a half, a yeah. year. But they remember everything that you do and everything that you say. Mm. But you have to be very careful with your words and very careful what you say and how you react. And this brings us into burnout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, the thread between all of the things you've mentioned, stay calm, stay calm, stay calm, stay calm. Let's be honest. That works the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time. But when you go months and months of just these little interactions, you lose. And it's sad because, I, I mean, for, for me, it's important to keep that connection of, I'm doing a humanitarian thing. I'm doing this to help people. I want to make people feel better. But when that keeps grinding you out, eventually you lose that. And that's, that's where you enter burnout. And so. that's, <laughs> that's the perfect example. I've actually recently entered the same thing. Okay. I've been calm, quiet. I haven't yelled at a patient ever, mm-hmm. ever, mm-hmm. ever, ever. They've done the, I've had patients spit in my face. I have patients do cannulas in my face. Cannulas? Yeah. He, he called me on call. To take off a cannula, throw it in my face, and say, where's my tea? A cannula? 
Was he delirious? He yelled it, pulled it out, and threw it at me. And it's like, I want tea. Why are you guys not feeding me? See, that's another part of, like, the job is dangerous sometimes. Someone throwing a sharp object at you. You can work in a lot of different places. No, no, the places. cannula wasn't. It was in place, but the needle wasn't there. Oh, right. Okay. But I thought you meant, is, like, one that was about... Okay, no, so, like, no. The, you took it out of your body. I don't know what kind of disease okay, you okay, have. Okay. Yeah, true. If your blood's touching me, if you're, you're spitting at me, I don't know what you have. Okay. You know, that's the point. Yeah, of course. But either way, I stay quiet. I'm like, you know what? Okay, if you want your tea, we'll get you your tea. Hmm. I go to the nurses. They're like, he's NPO. I'm like, it's fine. Just keep telling him. They'll bring his tea until he falls asleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just try to keep him calm. And the patient who spat in my face, I looked at her and I'm like, you know what? I'm leaving. So you've stayed calm. I left the room. I'm like, I'm not going to go back in. And, and so that was one of my burnout situations. Okay. So when we round it, I told them I'm not seeing this patient. I am hmm. not going to do this anymore. So my consultant was very, very supportive. She's like, we're not going to round on her. We can let her just draw around on her. Mm. She can see her. The, fa- the family had a couple of relatives. I don't remember how they were related. Mm-hmm. They left the room. They were like, you don't know what you're doing. What is medicine? You, you're young. You don't know anything. And I looked at him. I'm very calmly. I'm like, listen, internal medicine literally means from your head all the way down to your toes. The only thing it doesn't include is your mouth. <laughs> I'm like, that's literally the only thing we don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. It's from your head to your toe. He's like, I want a neurosurgeon to come right now. I'm like, there are two neurosurgeons that come Going the back to this country. entitlement thing, coming, going back to having the, the, the agenda. Yeah, I want this. I want this. And I fought for it not yeah. to happen. Yeah. I've explained the mom's situation. Mm-hmm. I explained it in insane amounts of details. Mm-hmm. The why she's taking this medication. And they're like, we don't want this medication. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, you don't get to choose. Yeah. If you want to refuse it, you have to sign that you're refusing. They're yeah. like, we're not going to sign. And and it's okay. I feel like a lot of patients think that we're judging them for refusing. Yeah, but medical legally, we have to, we, we have, have to, to have this proof yeah. that you refused it. Because if anything happens, yeah. it's not like we're not giving it to you. It's we're taking the legal responsibility to treat. Therefore, we need to take the legal resp- responsibility not to treat. Yeah, you know? so if we take this responsibility to treat yeah. you, you have to take the responsibility not to accept our treatment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes both ways. Yeah. So I called the neurosurgeon. And I'm like, if you're free, can you please pass by? He's mm-hmm. like, can you send me the, the video of the images? Because that's how they work. I'm like, listen, this family needs to see you. Yeah. So I'm like, when he came, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I know I dragged you out of work. I know you're covering the entire country. Literally. Literally the entire the country. The entire country. All eight hospitals in the country. Yeah. He comes in and I'm like, I'm going to come in with you. Hmm. And I came in with him and he kept talking and he said exactly what I just said. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the doctor, the neurosurgeon. I'm like, sorry, my God, like, I'm not trying to interrupt you. I looked at the patient's son. I'm like, is that not what I told you just now? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Word for word. He's like, I'm sorry, but I needed to hear it from a specialist. I'm like, did it make a difference? Mm-hmm. Are you still refusing? He's like, yes. I'm like, you wasted his time. You wasted my time. And you're still refusing. Yes. Here, please sign. Yeah. And then he signed it. I'm yeah. like, this is what I mean. You wasted this doctor's time. He could he could have been called for a stroke within window. Mm. And nothing could have been done about it. Because he was with me, explaining to a patient. You know what I mean? And so how, how do we... First, two things to clarify. How do we protect ourselves legally? Okay. How do we protect ourselves emotionally? And then another thing is what's what what do you think really is the solution here the solution is to, in my opinion 
من ناحية treating your protecting yourself legally everything has to be documented okay document everything if a patient says something to you mm-hmm. document it mm. if any anything happens they refuse medication document they refused it document documentation means everything mm. because it's by time by minute by day mm. so your proof is i documented at this time at this day mm. the time that they're saying that i wasn't there i logged into my system and i documented this yeah but there's proof that this happened that something happened okay. exactly yeah. emotionally It's just burnout. Emotionally, mm. you will be burnt out. But the best way to think about it is that you're doing something. At the end of the day, you get to go home knowing that you've managed to help at least one person feel better. That's true. At least one. You've relieved one person's pain. It's just rare that you that. have like zero successes in a day. Exactly. And that's a little motivation for any medical students watching is that you rarely end your day thinking every single person I saw, it went horribly. Very rare. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's happened, but I mean, but even if it ends horribly, the fact that you went in and tried, and I've told you this before, yeah. and that yeah, so going into them and talking to them, just counseling them, mm-hmm. you get to go home knowing that you made someone else feel better. Yeah, you get to go home knowing that your job has fulfilled you in some way. Mm. Mentally, you can take some days off. Mental days off. These are okay. These Take some time off for your own mental health to protect your own wellness. Mm-hmm. Take some time off. Detach from work. I know that it's difficult because at home, you're obligated to check on patients. You get calls. You get whatever. That's another thing they don't mention, by the way, coming to Kuwait. Because at most other places in the world, you don't take your patients home. Quite the opposite. But in Kuwait, we really do take our patients home. You do take them home. And yeah. it's... In my opinion, it's tiring, it's exhausting, yes, but for their care, it is so much better. It is. It, it, it is. It really Because is. Because when you leave it to the on-call, the on-call are, one, too busy, mm. know nothing about the patient. And sometimes it's an emergency, so they don't have the time to read through the file and check yeah. things. But I prefer they call me for a backup of the patient, mm-hmm. and I just tell them this is the case of the patient, and... In my opinion, I think you should do this, 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 and this. And let's not be, let's be honest. The uncles are also nervous. You know, you go to a patient you've never met before and then they're saying, well, I have a cough. And you're like, okay, now I need to figure out exactly what's your whole story. Make sure that I give you a management plan. That's not going to contradict the treating unit. And then make sure you're safe. Exactly. And, and the five minutes. Is, <laughs> the people that go into the room are trainees. The first uncle yeah. are people that are have never experienced clinical medicine before. Yeah. Yeah. So this is why when, when I'm on call, I tell them anything. Even if you think it's a stupid question, there is no such thing as a stupid question. Mm. We are dealing with people's lives. There is nothing called stupid question. Yeah. Ask me anything you need. Mm. I, I can attest to this firsthand. Mediam has 100% said this to me on numerous occasions with my many, many dumb questions. <laughs> Your quick questions. My quick questions. <laughs> Aziz is known for saying, just a quick question. <laughs> So there is there is no such thing because this is how you learn. You True. learn with exposure. Mm. I started off as a trainee. I didn't even know what an MR8 was, a progress note was. Yeah. Because this didn't exist in Bahrain. Yeah. I'm looking at it. I'm like, what is this? Mm. So you learn through exposure. If you genuinely want a subspecialty, let's say you want psychiatry now. Yeah. If there's any delirious patients, push yourself to go see them. Mm. You have to look, you have to seek for these things, yeah. look for them, find them. 
talk to them, deal with them. I wanted medicine. I've mm. always wanted medicine. So I've pushed towards medical cases more. Mm. Medical emergencies, I get to see them more. On call, I will join anyone who has a medical emergency. Yeah. Regardless of what it is. Because it gave me so much more exposure. Mm. This exposure, specifically on calls and emergencies, will teach you how to deal with families that are difficult like that. I have to be honest. I do get still, I still get nervous. Um, not with, I think I've gained confidence. I've been on the job. What is it now? Like close to four months. I've gained confidence in handling the medicine. I've had the, put the oxygen on, do the ABGs, that kind of stuff. I'm relatively, I'm happy with that. I still get nervous when someone tells me, uh, doctor, difficult family, they're coming to ask, ask you things because some background here is that it's, it's like 11 PM at night. Okay. And then I get a call from a nurse saying family wants to speak to you. And I know for a fact, before I'm about to go in, the family's about to ask me, what is my, you know, relatives, uh, prognosis, diagnosis, et cetera, et cetera. And I know nothing. And the speech rarely works. <laughs> of I'm an on-call doctor. I know nothing. It never really works. I know that it doesn't work. Yeah. But see, it, it does help you. Okay. So a lot of times we get calls for patients that are not under our unit. So yes. we know nothing about them. Zero. So I go to them like, and I was called and you want to talk to me. What, what is it exactly that you want to know? Mm-hmm. And then they tell me this, 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 this. I want to know about my mom's case. She did a CT today. What happened? Whatever. Mm. I explain to them, I'm an on-call doctor. Mm. She's not under my unit, so I don't know anything about her. Mm. If I see the response is okay, I'll stop there. And I'll tell them I'll inform the treating unit tomorrow Mm. to talk to you in details about it. If they're still being difficult, go like, can you give me two minutes? Let me read about her file. Let me read the notes. Let me me introduce myself to the case so that I can properly explain to you everything that's happening. So I will read their notes. I will explain it to them. But if there's any report that's out, I if there's a poor prognosis to the report, I will not be the one to break the bad news. Because you shouldn't, and you will not break and the bad news properly. And I'll just be like, the report's properly. not out yet. Yeah. But this is the case so far. Mm-hmm. And I'll just tell them the last notes that were written by the treating unit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you gave them information. Mm-hmm. You didn't ruin, you didn't break any boundaries between them and the treating unit. Yeah. And you've done your job. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you gave them the information they wanted, you talked to them, you gave them the time they needed, and you didn't step on anyone's toes. Mm. This is the best way to deal with them. You go in, you be like, okay, just give me a second. And the way you say it is, not, just give me a second, I don't know anything about her. So that way they think you're doing a full file review when in reality you're just reading the last note. Yeah. And then be like, mm-hmm. If there's any reports that are coming out, if there's any CT reports that are coming out, MRI reports, blood reports, whatever, they will inform you of all of them and they will keep you updated and don't worry, you're between safe hands. Inshallah, everything's going to be okay. All you need to do is calm down. And my favorite sentence is, <laughs> Now, okay. What you Save just said, it's it, all of this, 100% fair. But there's a lot of, uh, uh, there, there's one barrier that we forgot to mention. Uh, well, we touched on it. Language. 
And that's irregardless of whether you speak Arabic, don't speak Arabic, med school. And most of most of the people coming to med school and uh, coming to work in Kuwait were in med school in English. Everyone. Med school is the only country in the world that will teach you med school. Arabic is Syria. Yes. Yes. That is it. Yeah. I've heard that the same. So <laughs> here's our next level of issues because this that causes also, so much anxiety. So this also comes with experience. So you mm. should, you know, when you are nervous about saying something, in my opinion, and with all confidence, just tell them, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to remember, I'm trying to figure out how to say this to you in Arabic because I've studied this in English. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So just give me a second and say it with full, full confidence. Don't be like, no. Um, I don't um no be like we've studied this in English. Just give me a second so I can fully get the idea across, and then I want all of you to understand mm-hmm. so we're all on the same page. يعني بقولهم أنا بس تيجي ليه خلوني أرتب أفكاري شوي لأن أنا فهمت لكم يا بالإنجليزي بس بترجم لكم يا بالعربي عشان كن كل كلنا فاهمين وإن شاء الله يكون الفكرة وايد أوضح والصورة أوضح. مثلاً I've only recently known pneumothoraxes استراح صدري. I'm learning this now. So <laughs> I tried to explain to a patient verbally what pneumothorax was. Yeah. And I kept saying it, I kept saying it. I'm like, and then I took my phone, I Googled it. I'm mm. like, Stirwah Sadri. And he's like, oh, okay. And spleen, I forgot what the word for spleen was. What's so the word I showed him the picture of a spleen. And I'm like, it's right here. And they look at me, I'm like, and I googled it, and it's called Tuhal. Huh. And I do this in front of the I'm patient. I'm learning a lot right now. I do this in front of the patient. I'm like, just give me a second. I'm like, Tuhal. Mm-hmm. Sorry, mm-hmm. Just make it seem like you forgot what it was called. Okay, let's let's increase the ante up a little bit, okay? There are, there are situations, and there are even people, there's people who graduate, they cannot speak a lick of Arabic. And they, they're, you know, they're Kuwaitis for whatever reason, you know, that they, they, or their Arabic is very weak, mm-hmm. you know. What do they do? What's your advice? Because I think it's something we're not warned about enough. Like, I think it was something I was worried about for a long time. And then when I came back to Kuwait, everyone just told me eventually you'll get the hang of it. And I'm, I have to say for me, I'm getting the hang of it. And it's, I'm fine. But there are people that straight up, they're not getting the hang of it. The language isn't there. What do we do? Okay, so practice, practice, practice. That's the first thing. Mm. At the end of the day, if you're on call, there are also people that don't speak Arabic at all that are on call. Really? That are, let's say, for example, you have doctors that are either from Pakistan or from India or from wherever. They don't speak Arabic. Yeah. Dr. doesn't speak any Arabic. Yeah. He's able to communicate with patients. Arguably better than most. (laughs) Yeah. So it is treated the same way. Mm. You're still communicating. The only difference is you can't speak Arabic. Mm. You're still getting your point across. You can call someone for help. If you're really struggling, the patient really just doesn't understand you, call someone for help. Mm. Like I've had the Italian patient that I've had to Google Translate everything and make <laughs> her hear it. Yeah, That yeah. was the only way we can communicate. Yeah, And then it was all through Google Translate. So if it gets really bad and it's an elderly woman, it's whatever, there's no caregiver, there's nothing, you can always call for help. Would you agree that this is actually a skill that maybe we're a bit blessed with being better versed at than other places in the world? Like, for example, I'd say that 
in tomorrow when I want to apply for residency and yeah. you know specialty abroad. I'm quite proud to mention, and I've thought about this, that if in an interview, in a future interview, I'm going to sit down and say, honest to God, I, you can throw me in difficult situations where I'm not able to communicate as well and I will still manage exactly, safely. safely. Exactly. Mm. Listen, it teaches you how to manage everything. Yani, no matter what situation that you're in, you will leave it knowing you've done your best, knowing yeah. you've treated the patient at the best, you've given them the best care you possibly can yeah. without having any difficulties. Yeah, yeah. But this comes with time. This yeah. comes with exposure. Mm. There are certain trainees that weren't as lucky to be as exposed to situations sure. where others were extremely lucky. I have a trainee, without naming names, obviously. Yeah, yeah. She's seen the worst of the worst. Okay, I got you. I got She's you. She's yes. seen the worst yes. of the worst. And this is what I always tell her. You remind me of me. Because and I've seen Same unit. Everything. We're in the same unit. And I did not even see half of what, just for some exactly. providence... All landing with her. Yeah. I told her you are exactly like me. You will end up exactly like me because your training year is reminding me of mine. Mm -hmm. Because my first on call ever, I've never been on call. I had an upper GI bleed that was so bad. I can see the patient's blood pressure dropping and I can see the heart rate rising. That, that made me anxious. Just and it hear. was my first rotation. <laughs> yeah. I've never dealt with a patient. Never. You know when you just have to think quick on your feet? Yeah, yeah. I did the ABCs. I did the whole thing. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to call the senior. I did everything. He's like, okay, you did everything. You called surgery. Mm -hmm. There's nothing for you to do now. Mm -hmm. Just wait. And I waited there until the next on-call came so I can explain the whole situation to them. And I kept waiting there because I was so nervous that something was going to happen to her. Mm -hmm. Because when it's your first on-call, you worry you did something wrong. You worry you missed something. And you, you'll have this feeling for a couple of months. Mm. You'll always have this imposter syndrome. Mm. Am I fit enough to be here? Am I good enough to be Definitely. here? Definitely. I, I, I still get this, by the way. Imagine. No. I still get the imposter syndrome. Like, am I actually good enough to be here? Am I making the right decisions? And it's been, a, it's been a while. I've been working for a while. And you guys see me as someone to seek advice from. But 100%. I also see myself as, am I actually good enough to be here? This will stick with you for a while. Mm. And it's not something I understand a lot of every medical student that will be a doctor soon, inshallah. Mm -hmm. You will have the same issue. Mm. You will think you're not meant to be here. You're struggling. You don't know what you're doing. It'll take months. Mm. It will take months. And on a mid-training year, I started to feel like, okay, I've got to grasp something. Not, not mid-rotation, mid-training year. It's been six months. Would you say that dealing with difficult patients, it's the same thing? You need, you have that imposter syndrome. Can I actually handle this? Dealing with difficult patients to me is a social issue more than it is a medical issue. Okay. okay. Yani it's, to me, I feel like I'm a social worker when I do it. Mm. Yeah, I'm doing the job of a social worker slash doctor slash counseling it's friend family member yeah, it's just, everything exactly just treat them how you would treat your family member how would you advise your family member mm. just imagine that you have a difficult family member and how would you treat them mm. how would you talk to them mm. don't ever try to match a patient's energy i think that's a really good piece of advice because they will come in yelling at you and Don't it's triggering they try they really try to get that that, that response out of you it's not and that a lot not of trying. them do it yeah so they blame you afterwards really 
I have a friend who went somewhere to get some paperwork done. Mm-hmm. The employee was like, which means like, are you blind? Mm-hmm. So my friend got angry and was like, this is the friend of a friend. Yeah. She was like, no, you're the one who's yeah, blind. Why mm-hmm. are you calling mm-hmm. me that? So she recorded that part only. Mm-hmm. And then, so she's like, no, she's the one that said that to me first. But right. they're like, so there's no proof. Right. The proof is that you told her you're blind. Oh, you actually reminded me. So don't me. ever escalate with patients because they do record. Now, the recording issue. Clarify this for me. I heard, this is my understanding, is that this is a government building. Like the hospital is a government building. Patients have zero right to be recording. And that's, you know, that our, our proof is our documentation. Fine. Should patients be allowed to record? They're not allowed to record. And I've actually said this to multiple patients. Mm -hmm. I've seen a patient recording and she recorded a nurse's face while she was recording. And she was recording her mom moving to CT and they're like, oh, look how happy she is. And I'm like, I understand that you're doing this. We're actually not allowed to record staff. Her face was showing. You need to delete this video. Mm. She's like, oh, sorry. Okay. Some patients record you when you don't know. Really? They will record you. That's a little bit scary. Know. That's a little bit scary. When they start yelling, always keep in mind that they might be recording you. So don't ever match their energy. You always have to calm them down. Mm. Never say anything verbally wrong. D- like, okay, dumb question. Down. What if you record back? I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying, what is? what do you think? No, Hypothetically. I don't record back because anything that happens... There are nurses around. If mm. there's any yelling that happens, they will leave the room and see what's happening. <laughs> but technically, there's camera hospitals mm. that are recording it for me. Mm-hmm. I'm being seen by everyone. There's why plenty should of evidence. I justify and record and be like, why was she recording me? Yeah. So I can be like, she was recording me. Mm. You guys have the recording. You heard it all. This, this, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. Personally, I'm not going to put in the energy to start yelling at you and lower my own standards mm. to meet you right now. Mm. You're, at, you're having a bad day. It's either you're having a bad day or you're, you're just raised that way. Mm. It is not my place to raise you differently. And if you're having a bad day, it is my place to hold myself together and, may, and just give you the time to just blow up. Yeah, You have that right too. But again, circling back, this whole thing of keeping calm i'm struggling to 100 percent wrap my brain around how you can keep calm after so long so this is this is the thing how many times have i walked into the lounge and complained uh i'm gonna stay silent <laughs> you have ever time to yeah. complain on a daily yeah on the daily. so with you guys because you guys understand yeah i give you guys all of this because you understand what i mean yeah so yeah. by the time I leave, it's not on my chest anymore. It's just off my chest. Mm. I've said it. It's done. خلاص. Nursing staff, if I have an issue with them, I will talk to the head nurse. Yes. I will not let it pile up with me. Mm. So you, your colleagues, your circle, you have to be able to laugh and joke about these things. So that, that's, that raises a good point. Do you think the value of the team? A hundred percent. Yeah. Team okay. makes the world of a difference. Okay. If your environment is a toxic environment and a toxic team and you're dealing with patients that are difficult 
and you have nowhere to vent out to, mm. you will not you will not thrive. See, I'm lucky. I've had an amazing team, and this is my first rotation. I've no complaints whatsoever. You will not thrive at all. Literally, you will so not thrive. So, wh- what's your advice? What do you do? Because sometimes you can't choose the team, can you? But you can always change. Okay, that's a good point. I'm not is that within your rights? Seriously, it's it's within your rights. It's within your rights. I'm not comfortable where I am now. Mm. I would like to switch to another team. See, that's something that I never realized was actually. Yeah, Inta, as a trainee, you can be like, I'm not comfortable with this team. I, I didn't know that. I had no idea. That's actually really important to know, and I hope everyone you know yeah, listening yeah. knows Even this. As an ass- yeah, if yeah. you're fixed somewhere, as an assistant, I'm fixed mm-hmm. at any given point. I can be like, I don't want this unit. Switch me to another unit. Hmm. I can easily be switched. Now, is there any... The, the, okay, so a lot of people wouldn't do that out of fear. Is there any negative repercussions, you'd say? Depends. Okay. Depends on why you're switching. Okay. If you explain to them, I'm switching because it's a toxic environment, because of so-and-so, they'll be more understanding. Hmm. Because you explain to them the reason. This I have an issue with this person. I have an issue with this. I have an issue with this. It's not as a team. Yeah. I respect you all as a team. Mm. I've done the same thing. I've told them I've had an issue with this doctor. And if it is not fixed, I am willing to switch units. Right. So they're like, it's okay. The fix is easy. We can just switch the doctor to another unit. To yeah. another To another side. Instead mm-hmm. of them being mm-hmm. on this side, they'll be on that side. Mm-hmm. The contact will be reduced. Mm-hmm. So they fix the problem for me without me having to shift units. So you speak to them so that there's no negative repercussions. So you'd say don't let things bottle up. Yeah, just if you have an issue, speak up about it. Okay. If it's a family issue, whatever, it's a scenario that pissed you off, bothered you, come joke about it with us. Mm. Joke about it with your team. When you take it as a joke, it no longer bothers you. I definitely agree. But if it's a senior issue... Or if it's an issue with someone above you or someone in the workplace, bring it up very professionally. Mm. Don't ever, ever be like, this person's toxic. This, be like, it's just, we have a difference in opinion. We just don't work well together. Mm. The work dynamic isn't beneficial for the patients. Okay. That's how you bring it up. Okay. In a way, in a, is there any way to fix this? Mm-hmm. Or is it possible for me to switch to another side? Mm. Or does it have to be that I have to switch to another unit? Right. It is within your rights to change the team that you're in if you are not comfortable. It's Mm. within your rights to change hospitals if you want to, by the way. And talking more about within rights, we touched on the whole, uh, you know, you can, there are legal pathways to take with abuse. What's your advice on, in terms of abuse, escalating? When and how? See, the thing is, if you think you can escalate, you have public relations. Yeah. Public relations come in with a hot, with the whole police uniforms and everything. Mm. You Which is scary. It's them. intimidating. It is. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you shouldn't call them as soon as you've seen one mistake from a patient. Okay. If you've seen it and you're trying and you're trying and they're escalating and the one hit the fit clinics. It didn't escalate past that. But mm. if she did something more, I would have called them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. someone needs to come and someone needs to come and stop you. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people call them directly mm-hmm. and then instantly you lose trust. Yeah. Instantly there will be a problem with the entire hospital. Mm. It'll spread around that this hospital called the police for me. You know what I mean? Really? Yeah. We had patients that there was a minor disagreement between a doctor and a patient. Mm. Public relations were called. 
And then she talked to me, how dare this doctor call the police on me? I'm like, in all fairness, you did so, so, and so. Yeah. She's like, yeah, but I'm sick. I'm like, I understand that you're sick. I understand that you're But not. the doctor is scared. Like, let's let's name it. There's also an element of fear. Sometimes there are threats involved. There are. For example, yeah. there's recently been situations where doctors were threatened. Their lives were threatened and yeah. had to lock themselves in a room and lock themselves in an office. Yes, yes, that I was completely that. justified for them to call security. Yeah, yeah. But if a patient's just yelling at me or if a patient's just being rude, I can choose to either handle it. Mm. I choose to handle it if they're our unit. Mm-hmm. If they're not our unit, and they're escalating too much, I will call public relations. I'm right. not meant to deal with you. Right. I don't even need to build the trust with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not under my unit. You're not under my care. If you if you trust your unit, good for you. But right now, I have so much to deal with. I cannot have you adding to my list and adding to pressure on me. Well, you Very not. easy to call them. They'll come discuss it with them. Mm. End of story. I, I think that also one thing to bear in mind is that patients, when they call public relations, they also, in the reverse hurt the relationship with the doctor. I remember there was one patient I had. Um, did I tell you about the time that public relations came? No. Oh, <laughs> so. Guess, guess we're all hearing this for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> story time. Um, so I went down and I rounded on my patients. I explained to her everything. And it was a very pleasant conversation. She was very pleasant with me. In no way was she abusive. In, no, in the opposite. I felt so happy I, that I was treating her. She was such a sweet patient, right? Giggling with me, okay? Anyways, I go down and uh, suddenly I get a, a phone call. Uh, Doctor, please come. Public relations here. I said, which, which patient? And I had to really ask, are, are you sure it's that patient? Because it was shocking like, to me. What happened? Literally. And then I go down and apparently her friends called public relations. And then she, they, the friends look at me and said, nobody explained to, my, to her anything. She doesn't know why she's here. Nobody's telling her her treatment plan. What's going on? And I said, I just did that. Five minutes ago, she's like, really? I'm like, yep, let's go in. So we all went in and I, I didn't pry. I just asked the patient, what did I just explain to you? And she was, you know, happily just said, oh, I explained this, this, this. She was not, you know, yeah, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. she was, you know, she was fine. And then, See, a lot, of, a lot of patients will escalate before you do. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they will prepare it before you do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of times I've been called public relations here for something, blah, blah, blah. blah. I'm like, okay. Why? And I go, <laughs> they're like, we've been calling for 45 minutes and no one came. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you were calling the nurses for 45 minutes to call a doctor. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a call. Yeah. When I got the call, I showed them my logbook. I'm like, this is the log. I got a call a minute ago. Here I am. And here I am. Yeah, yeah. This is not my fault. This is the nurse's fault for not calling me. Mm. I can't any. And I'm not nip but should I say words? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If they don't call me, doesn't mean I'm not. I'm neglecting you. Yeah. And she starts yelling and yelling and yelling. And I look at public relations. I'm like, okay, listen, you guys can leave. Mm. There's no need for police to be here. She's like, no, they have to stay here. I'm like, okay, if you want them to be here, that's fine. That's- to me, it doesn't bother me. But I just don't want you to look bad that there's police outside your room. And when I said that, she's like, okay, fine, they can leave. Mm. If I'm like, listen, when I get a call, I come directly. Mm-hmm. If you, if it's been 10 minutes and I haven't come, you have to tell the nursing staff, 
call her again. Yeah. Call her again and again and again. Call her in front of me. You have to knock on them. And sometimes they forget. They genuinely forget. Yeah, yeah they're human. Yeah, I'm like, we're overloaded and yeah. we're understaffed. Mm. You on call after 1 p.m., we are all understaffed. Do you think that... So uh, they're understanding after that. The way you speak to them, mm. including volume and tone, mm. that's how picky it is. Mm. matters. Mm. It all matters. Fana, I think, in a difficult patience is my gig now. Uh, do you think that increasing the avenues of communication between patients and us, like, for example, complaints, et cetera, et cetera, not just public relations, do you think that if we ex- really expand on those in Kuwait, do you think that's going to help with the difficult patient issue? Of course. Such? Okay. Of course. We do have social workers here. We do have we, we do have all these things. Mm. Like for patients, I've called social workers multiple times that mm. have difficult families, difficult life situations, yeah. difficult payments. But in my opinion, I like it when the patient tells me their problem. Of course, yeah. Because you, you can talk. When you say it to me, I can relate to the correct source. Mm-hmm. If it's medical, I relate to my senior. If it's a social issue, I can relate to a social worker. If it's a crime issue, which has happened before, you relate it to the right direction. Yeah. Instead of them calling public relations, and it's a huge. It looks bad. Uh, yeah, and no, it and nobody's happy with them. it. Yeah, yeah. It looks bad for them. It looks bad for you. It looks mm. bad that you've been called for this. Mm. For the way of Anna, whatever difficult patient you have. If you sit down with them and talk to them in a proper tone, proper manner, always use ice, ideas, concerns, expectations. Mm. This way, you show them that I've covered everything with you. Mm-hmm. And then before you leave, you're like, if you need anything, let us know. We are here. Mm. All you have to do is let ask them to call us mm-hmm. and we will be here. You are not left here alone. And I say this to them all the time. Aisha We're paid for it. They respect you more that way. Even if they started off yelling, they will calm down. And I think a big thing that I learned from you today and in keeping with saying calm is don't be scared to take care of yourself to be able to take care of your patients but love just take the, yani, even if marat i've talked to patients where i had to leave the room to calm down mm. i actually had to leave the room so then can you give me a second mm. i left the room calmed down and went back in mm. and started explaining again and again and again and again mm. and i've had patients that were Yani, in withdrawal, a patient who grabbed me and started, yani, we're in an elevator, and yeah. he's cornering me and huffing and puffing in my face. On the inside, I'm freaking out. Yeah, fear. But I'm looking, I'm like, it's fine. What floor do you want to go to? Yeah. And his brother goes like 11. So we click 11, I'm going, I'm taking him to his room. And he pulls the chair and our knees are touching. Mm. And his brothers kept trying to move. I'm like, no, leave him, he's agitated. Mm. All of you need to stay calm. Everyone needs to calm down now. I'm like, in the, are you good? Are you okay? And then I tell the brother, I need you to call a nurse. Mm-hmm. A nurse comes in, and I look at him, and I'm like, call PR. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say it in Arabic so I understand. Yeah. Like, call PR and tell them to wait outside, not to come in. Mm-hmm. So the security waits outside. In this way, you're, take, you're, you're taking care of yourself, and you're making exactly. sure you're safe. Yeah, okay. So I'm like, 
are you good? Mm-hmm. He looked at me and he just started huffing and puffing again. I'm like, here, drink this. Have some food, whatever. Mm-hmm. He started eating. I took it as a chance to leave the room. Mm-hmm. So I leave the room, close the door. I'm like, this patient is dangerous. Mm-hmm. I need you to make sure he doesn't leave the room. Mm-hmm. Public relations stayed outside the room. They waited. There was a security outside the room. Okay. That way the patient didn't know there was security. Nothing escalated. Just make sure you're calm. Mm. When you're calm, it reciprocates with them. Mm. They will, it, you spread the energy of being calm. Yeah. If you come in agitated and nervous, you spread the nerves. Mm. Like I've had a patient that was, her grandma was hypoglycemic. That was it. Mm-hmm. She looked so worried that I looked at her. And I'm like, should I be more worried? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, should, should I be freaking out? <laughs> you get suspicious. So I'm like, I gave her the glucose. I gave her sugar. She got better. Mm-hmm. And then we started laughing about it. Right. She starts crying. I'm like, I need. I looked at her. I'm like, I'm counseling her family now. Yeah. I'm like, calm down. It was just this and this. Mm-hmm. And as a joke, I told her, you you looked so worried that I thought I should be more worried. Yeah. She's like, no, no. I'm like, it's fine. It's completely okay. Mm. Everything's fine. Don't worry. And she still says hello. Different units. I don't know them. Yeah. Every time I pass by, they're like, my mom wants to talk to you. Mm. So I have to come in and say hello. The mom is. <laughs> You see them once. Those are the patients you love. You love just, those are the things that keep you going through this job. Exactly. You see them once and look at the difference that it makes. It makes the world of a difference to them if Mm. you treat them properly. They were all terrified. Mm. And I'm like, it's okay. It's low blood sugar. She'll be fine. Just give her one hour. She'll start laughing. And when she started laughing, they were all okay. I'm like, see, that's all it took. A good, and that became a good memory for them and for yourself. Exactly. And we're like, every time I pass by each other Mm. now, it's hello, hello. It's, You've built a relationship with people that mm. are not under units. Your reputation between other doctors now is good. Mm. You're known to be a doctor that can convince the unconvincible. That's that's Mariam's uh, trademark. Literally, like, <laughs> convince I the unconvincible. Literally, if any patient that refuses anything, call Mariam. You've had a patient that refused NG yes. how many times? Yes, yes, yes. I've fixed it for her a good eight, nine times. Mm. All you have to do is explain things to them. Mm. Explain things to them down to their education level. You have to judge their education. Mm. How much do they know and how much do they not know? And then base it on that. Mm. You can't explain it to them using medical jargon. Yeah, it's not fair. That is regardless of their level of education. You have to be like, she has this. Expect this. This might happen. I'm not saying it will. I'm saying it it might. might happen. These things are important. But at the end of the day, like at the end of the day, we're all here. Mm. We're here to treat her. She's our priority. Mm -hmm. She's a priority. Her health matters to us. Mm. Everything we're doing has been being researched. We're discussing things as a team. Our consultant knows about this. We discuss all the cases on a daily basis. Even when we're at home, we check on your patients, which is exactly what happened. Yeah, it's what happened, yeah, yeah. And I tell them, like, we call the wards and we make sure she's okay. Yeah. This is how much we know about we're her. We're showing them we care. Exactly. Because we do. We and really do. It's do not that, a lie. It makes a difference every single time we talk to them. Yeah. Like, starting now, I know you're ending your rotation soon. Mm-hmm. Start using this. Yeah. Your next on-call is soon and it's with me. So I will see if you are doing it or I not. I'm being. I'm going to be tested. Start using ice. <laughs> Yeah. Start using ice and you will notice the world of a difference. And is it fair to say that we should stock chamomile tea now in the on-call, like in the doctor's lounge? 
Hundred percent. We should be starting chamomile tea instead of water tanks in the middle of the hospital. Yeah, you honestly, know, just spread that energy. Just everybody, just relax. We need a spa relax. room, a meditation room, green Zoom. room. You name it. Yeah. Uh, what What do they call them? The um, therapy dogs that come in and just share their puppy energy with you oh to make god. you happy. Oh my god. Uh, I think that's a a good place to to wrap it up for today. It was amazing being here, and I'm so glad we touched up on all these very, very important, very important issues and really, things yeah. that people will face on a daily basis mm. at work. And it was an honor to be here. Mm. Honor is all mine, and I can't thank you enough for your wisdom that you're sharing. Because my hope is that someone is listening here today, right before their rotation for the first time, and then they're gonna come in and just feel that extra bit more prepared. I honestly. hope so too, because I was in your shoes, mm. and if I had this advice earlier it would have made my life a lot easier i think so too and i greatly appreciate what you're doing with this podcast by the way it's wonderful to be able to help future generations deal with things mm -hmm. and not come in with the culture shock that you and i both had yeah no it was yeah. so this was amazing and i'm so 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 happy to be the first speaker and i hope to come back here again 100 100%. 100%. Miss Honestly, thank you, Aziz, for having me here. It was wonderful. Thank and I you, hope Maria. whoever hears this enjoys this. Yeah, th uh, thank you again. And um, that's the last sip of coffee for today. A last special thank you to uh, for you. Uh, and uh, if uh, our viewers uh, like the show, please comment, like, subscribe. And Mediam, please and comment, you can like, suggest, and subscribe. Suggest ideas of what you want to hear next. Yes, please. Actually, that's what some, a big thing. We really want to hear from people. What, what do they want to know? You know? Just like give us, give not not give us, give no. Aziz your feedback. <laughs> give Aziz your feedback on things you're struggling with, yeah. so that he can arrange them for you and find the perfect speaker. Mm. Thank you so Thanks much. Again. It was amazing to be here, and I hope at a certain point you'll be back. Of course, uh, of course, <laughs> yeah. at a certain point someone finds this beneficial. Yeah. Thank you so much. Take care. Awesome.